Azotius. Azotius. Where is <laughs> He's done it again. He did it again. That's the third time. He didn't even ask me this time. Thank you very much. Um, if you could just point me in the direction of the town, I'll be on my way. Well, yeah, of course, I have to be rather calm. I've been through quite a lot in the last few weeks. Um, this has actually kind of become rather normal. Well, you, you see, it's this. Moments ago, I could have sworn that I was on the road from Jerusalem near the town of Gaza, and now I find myself here. Yes, I realize it's a three days journey on foot from here. No, I haven't been out in the sun for too long. Well, it's actually a very long and drawn-out story, so I don't know if you... Yes, I realize your camels aren't going anywhere yet. Fair, Fair enough. Sit down. After all, I have no idea exactly why I'm near this town. For all I know, it's to talk to you. So let's get on with it, shall we? Introductions. My name is Philip, and... I suppose I'm a fugitive, a refugee of sorts, at least a wanderer. Not, not in the way that you'd think, though. Um, haven't broken any laws, but definitely, <laughs> definitely on the run. But you seem an upstanding person. It doesn't seem that you're planning on turning me into any of the authorities. And, well, frankly, there's no one else around, so <laughs> I suppose we're all right. I'm sure that you've heard of the going-ons in Jerusalem this past year, the stories about Jesus of Nazareth, the, uh, his untimely death, the rumors of his resurrection, hmm? the happenings at Pentecost, yes. I am a disciple of Jesus. I am a follower of the way. And... Uh, I never intended to be. I was just there for the Feast of Pentecost like so many others. I had come from my home in Greece. It was my turn this year to offer the sacrifices to God for the uh, blessing of our crops and our, our holdings there. Um, and I hadn't really planned to do much else except do that and then go home and continue with my life. But... Uh, but then I saw something that I'll never be able to forget. I saw God's Spirit upon people in a way that I'd never experienced it before. I heard them speaking the wonders of God to me in my own tongue. Not, not just from my region, but like they'd grown up in my own neighborhood telling me about the wonders of God. But it wasn't just how they were saying it, it was what they were saying. Speaking to me about how God had become flesh and dwelt among us and we did not recognize him exclaiming in the wonders of what Jesus had done and proving that he was the Messiah but we hadn't recognized him in fact when God had come to us we had rejected him and we'd killed him and like so many others I was cut to the heart and I said what am I supposed to do with this but I found out that that wasn't the end of the story that he was actually risen and, and not, just, not just by the account of one person, but by hundreds of people that were there that had said, yes, we've seen him. We've been with him. We've touched him. We've eaten with him. 
And even if that seemed to be unbelief, what I couldn't deny was the fact that there was something different about these people because they had put their faith in Christ Jesus. And so I said, I also desire to do that. And as I stayed with these people, the Holy Spirit that had so empowered them came upon me as well. And it was, it was a joyous time. It was a good time. It wasn't without hardship, of course. I mean, try writing a letter to your father at the other end of the world and saying, Sorry, Dad. I've decided to throw my lot in with these people that are worshiping and following a resurrected dead man. That didn't go over so well. I lost my inheritance pretty much like that. I'm sure my younger brothers were quite happy. But you know, I was never in need because almost immediately I found that I had new brothers and sisters, new fathers and mothers. This community of people were so united by their love for God and their devotion to Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us that there was no need among us. Even, even, even old divisions were being healed. And, and when it became clear that we had allowed the thinking that separated and divided those Jews that were born in Jerusalem versus those that were scattered across the empire like myself, that we had allowed that thinking to take root. The apostles were so quick to appoint us to take care of things, and, and I, was, I was honored and humbled to be one of the ones that was appointed to, to take care of those who were in need, to take care of these widows and to distribute the food to the people. And it was a task that I took on gladly, and it brought so many different opportunities for conversation and for evangelism to, to tell the good news of why we were doing what we were doing because it looked odd, it looked strange. Oh, they were great times until, until they came for Stephen. I wasn't there when they took him to trial in the temple courts. I probably would have shared his fate if I had. There were a few of the brothers and sisters that were able to escape, that were able to come and tell us of what had happened to him. I've thought a lot about why, instead of just killing him and being done with it, such a great persecution arose against us, and I think it must be the way that he died. You see, in doing so, he overturned a long-standing tradition of the prophets cursing the ones who were killing them for not accepting the word of the Lord. It goes all the way back to Micaiah and King Ahab, for crying out loud. He's dragging him off to prison, saying, I'll deal with you when I get back from prison. And Micaiah saying, if I'm really a prophet of the Lord, you're not coming back. And of course, he was a prophet of the Lord, so he didn't come back. And so he died. And so did Micaiah convenient. But instead of cursing them for their refusal to listen to God's word, Stephen died with the lips of prayer and forgiveness. As the rocks crushed his body, he was asking God not to hold the sin against them as though they were sheep without a shepherd. And I think it just made them mad. I'm sure it made the student of Gamaliel, Saul, mad, he immediately began dragging us off to prison. Brothers and sisters that I knew and loved being torn from their homes. I still don't know what's happened to them. 
Perhaps they're still in prison. Perhaps they've, perhaps they've joined our brother Stephen at the side of our Lord. I don't know. I do know that soon after, I got the urge. I woke up one morning with this thought pressing, not just on my mind, but my heart. You need to leave Jerusalem. You need to gather up some of the brothers and sisters with you, and you need to go. And that wasn't such a bad idea. It was where I was being led to go. This idea just seemed preposterous. Samaria, of all places. The land of our faithless half-brothers. Samaria. It, it made an odd sort of sense at first, if you think about it. I mean, no righteous Pharisee, no Sadducee with any sort of political clout would be caught dead going into that province. I mean, to even be among those people is to be unclean. They worship a false god. They, they do not know our Lord anymore. But when I went to the apostles and asked for permission to go, John just began laughing and said, Oh, so this is how he's going to do it. How he's going to do what, I said. And then they told me of his words to them shortly before he ascended, that, that our mission was not just to spread the gospel and the good news of his return and his resurrection here in Jerusalem. It was to spread it through Judea and to the ends of the earth, and specifically to Samaria. I didn't understand, but I agreed to go. And so with their blessing, I went, wondering as I went, how on earth I was going to erase 700 years of bad blood with the gospel. I suppose that I shouldn't have been surprised when I found out that he beat me to it by about two years already. I mean, sure, there were, there, were, there were many who were suspicious of us, downright hostile. Oh, look, the Jews have come from Jerusalem to show us how to follow God again. Right. We're doing fine, thanks. But there were so many who already knew about him. We found an entire town that already knew about him. Evidently, he decided to stop there for a drink once. Managed to convert the whole town. And so I found myself faced with a conflict, not with these people, but a conflict within myself. Could the good news come to those who had been faithless for so long? I mean... It goes all the way back to the time of the time that our kingdom divided when Jeroboam created his own empire of the ten northern tribes and instead of being willing to continue worshiping Yahweh made the golden calves at Bethel and Dan. This is not a small argument we're talking about here. And yet here they were, ready, ready to do the same thing that I had done. Their hearts cut the same way that mine had been. And so I did the only thing that I knew how to do. I baptized them. And we waited. And we waited. And we waited. And I began to think that I had done something wrong. Had I failed somehow? Did I not get it right? Did I say the words wrong? 
Was their toe still sticking out? I didn't know what to do, so I sent word back to the Jerusalem to the elders and said, help me. <laughs> and the message came quickly from Peter and John. We're coming. Great. They'll get this mess sorted out. But when they got there, they said it was the most peculiar thing that they, they knew why. It wasn't because we had done something wrong. It wasn't because that, that they needed you know, special attention or anything. It was that God was proving a point through his Holy Spirit. God was actually humbling us <laughs> by asking our leaders to lay hands on, to touch, to bless, to beg God to bring healing where there had been division. And the Holy Spirit came. Oh, did it come? Mm. The healing, the restoration, the rejoicing. Oh, it was beautiful. Great times. And of course, because it was great times, the urge came again. I woke up again one morning, the same feeling on my heart and in my head, get up, go. This time I was even more unsure of where it was. All I had in my mind was a picture of a road in the middle of the desert. It wasn't go north to Samaria, it was go south into the nothing. And I thought, this makes no sense. Look at what's going on here. This is incredible. The Spirit of God is working here. Why am I supposed to leave now? Everywhere that I had gone, he had been, so why not go again? And so I did. And I walked, and I walked, and I walked, and I walked. And again, I began to doubt myself. I began to think that I'd done something wrong. Maybe I hadn't really experienced him the way that I thought that I had. Maybe I, maybe I was mistaken. There seemed to be nothing out here but me and my doubts in the desert. And then I saw him. Resting near an oasis, not much unlike this one. Sitting in his chariot, reading his servants, watering the animals. And as soon as I saw him, I knew. And my, my half-hearted wandering turned into walking with purpose, turned into jogging, turned into running, and I'm flat out sprinting toward his chariot. The words were out of my mouth before I even knew what I was saying. Do you understand what you're reading? I don't even know what he's reading. And I realize as the words are out of my mouth, this is no ordinary man that I'm looking at, his, his chariot. He's obviously a man of wealth, but he's not a man of his own wealth. His chariot bears the seal of Candace, the queen of Ethiopia. This man is, is a bonded servant of his country. He's like no man I've ever met before in my life. He turns to me. And gives me a look as though he's been waiting for me his whole life. And with a grin says, 
how am I supposed to understand it unless someone like you comes and explains it to me? Come on up, sit down. And so I did. One look at his scroll and I knew. He was puzzling over these words. Like a lamb, he was led to the slaughter. And as a sheep before his shears is silent, he did not open his mouth against his accusers. And who can speak of his descendants? For we blotted his name out from the earth. I learned a lot of passages from Isaiah in the synagogue as a child about the Messiah. That wasn't one of them. Our favorites were, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government of the world will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the destiny of his reign and the duration of his reign, there will be no end. We like that one. That was a good one. And we longed for that king who was going to come and who was going to restore us to our glory. He was going to release us from the hand of the oppression, make us great again, so that we could be the children of God again, so that we could bask in the glory of his presence again. We spent quite a lot of time talking about those tended to kind of gloss over those ones at the end that talked about him being wounded for our transgressions and tortured for our iniquities. But now I knew that that's exactly the kingdom that was being established. And as he looked at me with confusion in his eyes and said, please help me understand, is, this, is the prophet talking about himself or is he talking about someone else? I could only shake my head and laugh and say, Oh, let me tell you who he's talking about. And we started with that verse right there. And we laughed. And we wept. And we saw the Lord open up his living word to us once more. It was like reading it again for the first time. And eventually he looked at me with tears in his eyes and said no it's not much it's just a, it's just a watering hole <laughs> a little bit of mud <laughs> but why can't I follow him too why can't he be why can't he be my savior too why can't I disciple myself to him the way that you have and I said, why not? Why not? And we went down into the water, and I put him under the water, and I brought him up, and we embraced. And as we came up out of the water, I found myself right around the bend over there. And now I'm here. So that's my story. That's why I'm here. Like I said, no idea what's next. I have no idea what's going to happen to him. I have no idea what's going to happen to those in Samaria. 
I do know that God is at work. I mean, this man, he's, he leaves a man not only bonded to the service of his queen, but he's now bonded to the service of his queen in the name of his king. And who knows what God can do with something like that? Who knows what he'll do with you? For all I know, the only reason that I'm even here in this town is to talk to you. I would tell you this. Listen. Listen. Listen to the spirit of our God. Listen to what he's telling you about this Jesus. Listen to what he's telling you about this Lord. I guarantee you it, it won't be a boring life if you're willing to follow in his footsteps. And now, I will bid you good day. Zodius is near Caesarea, isn't it? I think so. I've always wanted to live by the sea. Maybe that's my next stop. Well, wherever the journey goes, I know who goes with me. And I know that thus far he's been more than faithful. So, whatever's around the bend, I will walk in his steps. So every once in a while we need a dress-up day at church, I guess. The thing that I love most about the story of Philip, and I really wrestled with the best way to bring this out as a sermon, and I figured it would just be best to tell the story, because the thing that I love so much about Philip's story, and the thing that really speaks to us, I think, as a church, is his receptivity, right? It's a word that we talked about a little bit in class this morning. There are better speakers than Philip. There are people who do more powerful things than Philip. You've got your you've got your superheroes in Acts. You've got your Peters and your Pauls. You know, you, you know those folks that you, you you look at them and you go, man, that's fantastic. But I don't know. I feel a certain separation between me and them. And then there's Philip. And you know what Philip's biggest quality is? He shows up. He shows up. He listens. He goes, okay. I, I don't necessarily understand why you want me to go to this place, but I'll go. I don't know why you're calling me into this situation, but I'll go. I don't know what you have in store for me, but I'm ready. Or at least I'm receptive, even if I'm not ready. Right? And I think that we can learn a lot about the Holy Spirit from Philip's life. I, I, think, I think we may be able to learn more about that than, than maybe even in some of the other things that we've talked about. Because what, what do we need the most as the body of God right now in our world? We need receptivity to God's Spirit. We need, we need to be aware of what he's up to. And we need to be willing to listen and willing to look. 
And we need to be willing for when he puts us in situations of, of conflict and of, 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 of deep brokenness, like he did with Philip, to say, what, what are you desiring to reconcile here? And, and, and especially, how are you desiring for me to reconcile with people that may not necessarily want to reconcile with me? And, and how will you bring your life into deep brokenness? And how will, you, how, how will we respond when he takes us from places that seem really, really full of life to places that look barren, that look like they're just an empty desert road of our lives? And yet, trusting that his spirit is not only able, but actually desiring to spring up life in the desert if we're willing to be receptive to it. And more so, how he takes, and and the Holy Spirit just seems to be so, so adept at doing this throughout the book of Acts. We haven't had a single story that involved the Holy Spirit that hasn't involved resistance, sometimes violent resistance, pain, suffering, and now it, the persecution has come to a completely different level. And from the outside, it looks like the church is being decimated. It looks like they're getting rolled by the leaders of the day. That they're being ridden out of town on a rail. That they're being scattered to the winds. And yet when we look through the eyes of the Spirit, we have the understanding that what looks terrible is God reaching into his seed bag full of people and throwing them out across the empire, scattering them like seeds to bring the growth of the gospel, to accomplish his plan to fill the earth with his glory. And you know how he's going to do that? Through difficulty. Through discomfort. Through situations that make us say, I'm not really sure that I enjoy being here, but I believe that the Holy Spirit has brought me here for his purposes and that out of that, he may bring great joy. Not just to me, but to those around me. And it's a challenge to me every time I read Philip's story. Not, I've, I've read Philip's story as... I remember, I mean, I remember reading it as, as kind of like a, a, a baptism story, right? Especially his time with the Ethiopian eunuch and, 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 and kind of as a, you know, even like a, a step-by-step plan for sharing the gospel, things of that nature. But boy, that, you know what this story is about so much more than that? It's about a receptivity to like keeping your eyes open for the chariots on the side of the road that you would miss otherwise. That, that's the real thing. Do we see the people around us that God is putting in his path? Because when I look at that story, it's like God is just setting it up for Philip to knock it down. You know what I mean? He's, he's just totally putting everything in the place. Right guy, right place, right time, right scripture. Have you seen how big the scroll of Isaiah is? He's massive. And he's just right there. And it's like God's going, I've got it. It's right here, high across the center of the plate. Take a swing. You got this. Do you believe that God is doing that for you every day? Do I believe that God is doing that for me every day? Do we have eyes to see what God is up to? 
that's the encouragement and the challenge of the story of Philip. And that's what I really pray that your heart will be encouraged with today, church. Is that God is, is, is putting you into situations every day. Ready to give you everything that you need in order to partner with him as he fills the earth with his glory in your life and in the lives of those around you. So I, I pray that we'll be those people. I pray that we'll accept that challenge and I pray that we'll go forth with great courage and great joy into whatever situation that we find ourselves in today and the next day and the next day. Because we know that whatever the journey looks like, the one who goes with us is faithful. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together. Let's give him worship and praise and honor.